All right. Well, good morning to you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And in case you don't know that, you need to know that. It is good to be in a safe place where we can come and worship God. We can learn about God and to be with people that we know and that we love. So it's a good thing to go to church and be in church. And speaking of church, today is kind of the topic that we're talking about the church. I can't believe this, but when we took this journey, starting on the Baptist Faith and Message, and it was going to be 13 weeks long, I said, wow, that is a long time to do a series of messages. And yet, as I stand before you today, we're just about halfway. Lisa Simpson. We are almost halfway through summer. This thing runs the whole summer. And here we are, message number six. I believe, if I counted right, um, in this series. And I'm very excited today about what we're going to teach. I really, I really hope you'll listen. I hope you'll listen today. Um, I love teaching with, with things that can really apply to our lives. I love teaching application. And this is so applicable to our lives today. And we're going to take a little journey. Um, the, the, the big picture today is foundations. It's foundations. Now, every topic we take on each week is huge. And so normally what we do is we preach it this morning, we may tag on tomorrow, tonight, and then on Wednesday night, just trying to fill in because the picture is so big. I still think about Brother Brent when he preached on God in 45 minutes. Like, wow, that's a challenge. Okay? So, but anyway, so tonight, since we're going up to you, and by the way, you say, why do we go up to the youth department to have worship? Well, they invite us to their house. And I think we all, if we believe that young people, students are important, and we should go and support them in their house, and we should hear their story. So in case you're wondering why we're doing that, that's why we're doing that, because we believe in the student ministry, and we want to support them. So we can't really continue the message tonight, okay? But we can Wednesday night. So I invite you to come back under the steeple, 6 o'clock on Wednesday night. We'll be talking about what makes up the church. Today's foundations, but what makes up the church? And then it's so important, I'm going to go ahead and look forward to next Sunday night, and we're going to talk furthermore about what's the mission of the church. So we're going to get three lessons in, three messages on the church, but you need to come back on a Wednesday night and come back on a Sunday night to catch all that. Today, we're talking about foundations, foundations. Why is that so important? Well, Dr. Tony Evans, and Dr. Tony Evans, I'm not saying I agree with everything he teaches. You know, after all, he's not a Baptist, as far as I know. Um, we wouldn't agree with everything that's not, not Baptist. But anyway, he's just a fantastic teacher, and he's a passionate man of God. And we had the privilege of hearing him at the Sundance Convention, and every time I hear him, I just so admire his abilities, and again, his, his ability to reach in the hearts of the people with the Word of God. Well, several years ago, he told a story, and I have it on my computer so I can listen to it over and over again. He spoke, to show you the age of the message, he spoke at a Promise Keepers event. And uh, this message was shared at a Promise Keeper event. And he talks about the fact that one day he walked into his house, and as he went into his bedroom, he looked up on one of the walls in his bedroom, and there was a crack on the wall. And so he did what we would do. Um, well, actually, in my case, I would try to fix it myself, and it looked like a disaster. But he did not do that. He called a painter, brought him into the bedroom, and said, Hey, I've got this crack in my wall. I need for you to fix it. And so the painter shows up, and he has plaster walls, much like my house. And he dug out the loose plaster around the crack, filled it in, sanded it down, painted it. And as Dr. Evans said, it looked good. He was happy. I was happy. I paid him, and we went our separate ways. He said about a month later, he looked up on the wall and the crack was back. The crack was back. So he said in a, in a Christian way, he got a little fired up. 
Okay? So he calls the painter and says, hey, the crack is back. So the painter came up and he apologized and said, I'm so sorry. You know, we'll fix it again. No problem. No fee. No harm. No foul. So he gets up there and digs the plaster back out again, replasters it, sands it down, and paints it. Dr. Evans says, I was happy. He was happy. We went our separate ways. And then about 45 days later, the crack was back. And as he said in the story, it was back with all the aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, and sisters. And so he said, it is time for a new painter. So he brought another guy in and showed him and said, I've got this crack problem. You know, can you fix it? And he goes, I can't help you. And Dr. Evans looked at him and said, what do you mean? Don't you make your living fixing cracks? He goes, yes, I do. But I can't help you. And he said, well, why can't you help me? He said, you don't have a crack problem. And Dr. Evans looked at him and said, actually he said he looked at the cracks and looked at the crack on the floor that was telling me he didn't have a crack problem. He said, I can see the cracks, he can see the cracks, and he's telling me I don't have a crack problem. He goes, what do you mean I don't have a crack problem? He said, you do have cracks, but the problem is you have a moving or shifting foundation. And I could take your money and fix the cracks, but until you fix the foundation, the crack will keep coming back. What a great story. What a great story. It really teaches us the important, uh, importance of the foundation. That, we, that so often the issue is not what's going on in our lives, but it's the basis of our foundation. Foundations are just so very, very important. I want to show you a picture today. Of something that you're going to be very familiar with. If you'll throw that first picture up, please. Uh, you'll probably recognize this. You recognize that? Yeah, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Okay? Now, if you'll notice something, it is leaning. That's exactly right. And the amazing part is it's been leaning a long time. And the reason it hasn't fallen over is because through the years, they've tried to fix the foundation. Give a picture number two there, please. It kind of gives an explanation there and explains that the reason the tower leans is, now listen, there's a key word there. There's a couple of key words. During construction. During construction. So while they were building this tower so many years ago, okay, it started leaning during construction and it leaned because of the soft ground was unable to carry its weight. They noticed the problem during construction, but rather than stopping trying to fix the problem, they continued to build. And again, you know, the tower, relatively speaking, is narrow, very heavy, and it slowly shifted over because of a poor foundation. That's the deal. That's the importance of a foundation. Now, I've got one more picture to show you. And I was going to show you this picture and tell you it was my house, and I didn't do that. Because I could. truth is, I've got a couple of places like this on my house but I didn't want to tell you that in case one day I want to sell my house and you want to buy it and you go, can you tell me about that crack problem you had? That's really a foundation problem. So this is not my house, but I've got a couple places, particularly in my garage, that look 100% exactly like that. And again, I don't have a brick problem. I don't have a mortar problem. I've got a foundation problem. That part of my garage foundation over the years, and by the way, I live in a house that is 116 years at least old. At least old. 
At least that'll probably 118 years old. The garage is only about 60, 70 years old, but the house is 118 years old just about. So I, I have over the years, then this foundation shifted and created these cracks. Now, let me tell you why this is important. You know, assuming if we could say that was my garage, and even the brick is the right color, by the way, okay? You know, I, I look at the Tower of Pizza and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's really cool. That's in Italy. Doesn't impact my life, all right? This is personal. This is up front. This is the kind of foundational problem I have in my house. It gets personal. And we got to let what we hear today about foundations get personal. It's got to be personal. It's got to get to the point where we truly get it and we truly understand it. So what we want to do is, it's going to take us a while, just like a good builder, we've got some groundwork to do, no pun intended. We've got some groundwork to do before we eventually get to the main scripture. So don't think we're chasing rabbits because we're not. Don't think we've lost our way because we haven't. All I ask is that you pay attention today. All right? Now, the first major scripture that is on your sermon sheet that we want to talk about is Matthew chapter 7. And again, it's one of my favorite scriptures and probably one of yours. And Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus does its teaching, a story about foundations, about houses. All right? It's really an important story. So in Matthew, if you want to look at your Bibles, turn your Bibles. The guys may get up on the screen. I don't know. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He's taught this great Sermon on the Mount, all this wonderful truth, okay, about how we should live. You know, it's really funny. The Sermon on the Mount is not about salvation. It's about how we should live. It's about how we should live. So he teaches this famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to the end. He gets to the end. And here's what he says. Therefore, in Matthew 7, 24, therefore, everyone. How many? Now, this is really important. Okay, everyone. So you're included here. Okay? Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Now, there's really two important things going on in this story that I want to call to your attention. One is the foundation. Two is how to build on the foundation. Okay? So the foundation, and we're going to buy that in just a moment. And the other part is how to build on the foundation. Well, this part deals with building on the foundation. Whoever, everyone, who hears these words of mine... And acts on them will be like a wise man. So you see the two part there? It's not just hearing what he said. And I like this translation. But acting on what he said. And there's a world of difference. You know, I have figured out that you could come to worship every week. You could come to Sunday night worship every week. You could come to Wednesday night. And, and you can throw in a small group on the side. But if you don't do what he just said, it's not going to impact your life. It's one thing to hear the word of God. It's another thing to act on the word of God. Can I have an amen there? All right. So he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man. Um, I know you can't see this, but I bet you can figure out from the fact it's white and it's got one of those caps that, that old people can't open and neither can kids. Okay. And so it, it's a medicine bottle. Okay? And it's got my medicine in it. And so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So, so I go to the doctor. And he checks things out. Does some blood work and things. And he said, finally, he said, Dwayne, you know, your sugar's high. Okay? So we need to give you some medicine to get your sugar down. And so I said, okay, that's cool. So he calls into the pharmacy a prescription for me for my medicine. Okay? So... I go up to, to the pharmacy, I pick up my medicine, I bring it home, and I set it on the counter. Okay? Now, it's in close proximity to me. Okay? 
So it stays on the counter for a month. We have a follow-up appointment. I go back to the doctor. And so he says, so, I see your sugar hasn't come down. Did you get the medicine? Yes, sir, I did. Are you taking it? No. But I'm near it. I mean, it's, it's close to me. And he goes, that's not the same thing. I said, okay. So, we reschedule another follow-up appointment. So, another week, another month goes by. This time, I get a little bit further. So, this time, I actually pick the bottle up, and I read what it says. It says, take one tablet daily with evening meal. And over here, it tells me how many times I can refill it. It tells me, by the way, be careful of this. And, oh, by the way, be sure and do this. I read all of this. I understand all of this. I set the medicine back down on the counter. We go back in a month. He says, Dwayne, your sugar's still up. Did you get the medicine? Yes. Did you take the medicine? No. But I did read it. I read the label. And the label told me all about the medicine. Dwayne, you've got to take the medicine. I go home. Third try. I finally open the bottle. Pull out the big old white pill about the size of a horse's pill. I pull that out and I start taking my medicine. I go back in a month, and guess what? My sugar is lower. How about that? Do you know what made the difference? I took the medicine. Jesus is saying the exact same thing here. It's not enough to buy a Bible from Lifeway, put it on your counter, and every time you walk out the door to church, okay, you grab your Bible, and every time you get up and go have your coffee in the morning, there's the Bible laying there. It reminds you, I have a Bible. That's not enough. And then he goes one step further and says it's not enough to pick up your Bible, even if you do it every day and just read your Bible, just read your Bible, just read your Bible. It's not enough. He said you've got to read the Bible and ingest the Bible. You've got to get the Bible inside of you so it can help you. You've got to apply the Word of God. That's just huge. Would you say amen? Now listen, I'm trying to help you today because, listen, I see too many families struggling. I see too many people struggling with life, okay? And the truth is, a lot of us come to church, a lot of us read our Bible, but we don't let the Bible get in us. And Jesus says, a person who does let it get inside of them, okay, is like a wise man, and here's the foundational part, who builds his house, his life, on the rock. On the rock. Now watch what happens. The rain fell, the rivers rose, And the winds blew and it pounded that house. Okay? So life happened. But watch. Yet, it did not collapse. Why? Why did it not collapse? Why did it not collapse? Because its foundation was on the rock. The ingestation of the word... The application of the word and building your life on the right foundation gains different results. Everything said. You want to know why he made a big deal? You know why he said because his foundation was on the rock? You know, you know why he pointed out the answer? Because it's so huge. It's so huge. He wanted us to understand why did the, why did the house not collapse? Why do lives not collapse? And lives don't collapse when we read and ingest the Word of God and build our life on the right foundation. 
Is that not big? Now listen. Some of you, um, who's on the machine back there? Hey, could you flip back to the, to the bricks? I don't know if that, yeah, look. Look at me, look at me, look at me. A lot of us have, have lives like this. There are cracks all in our life. And it is a matter of time before it collapses. And listen, we try to patch, you know, you know what we do? We patch it. We say, I'll start going to church again. I'll go to church more often. I will even read my Bible. I will do this. I will do that. But we don't apply what we read and we don't build on the right foundation. And the cracks keep coming back. It's time for a change. It's time for a change. It's time to do something differently. Now, we've got to look at the other side of the coin. What happens? He says in verse number 26, But everyone, how many? Everyone. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, they go to the pharmacy, they get the medicine, they leave it on the counter, they may read the label, they may read the Bible, they may come to church, they may go to small groups, but they never imply, apply it and they never build on the right foundation, okay? Who doesn't act on them will be a foolish man who built his house on sand, just like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, okay? The result was inevitable, Because the foundation was wrong. The cracks in your life and the catastrophes in your life are inevitable if you don't apply the word of God to your life. It's going to happen. Now, verse 27, the rains fell. Yeah. The rivers rose. Yeah, by the way, there was a song. We used to sing this song when I was a kid. I was going to sing it for you, but we won't take the time. But we had a song about this. The rain fell. The rivers rose. The winds blew and pounded that house. And it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Do you see something different there? What is missing? He doesn't say why it collapsed. You know, the one, it stood because he built on the rock. He doesn't say why it collapses. You want to know why? It's expected. It's normal. No one's, you know, people were surprised when the storm comes, okay, and it doesn't collapse. They're not surprised when the storms come and it's on, on the wrong foundation and it does clap. That's normal. That's normal. So Jesus is saying if you want some results that are not normal, you've got to do something that's not normal. You've got to go beyond going to church. And by the way, can I just be candid? Look at this sanctuary today. We struggle with that. They ain't got time for church today. And it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. You've got to go beyond church. You've got to go beyond reading your Bible. And you've got to let the Word of God get inside of you and make sure you're building this house on the right foundation. On the right foundation. Just a huge thing. Dwayne, is this a story about life? Sure is. You know, catastrophes happen in life. We are grieving as a church family today with Denzel and Barbara Aiken over the death of their granddaughter. We were all filled with anxiety when Lindsay went in premature labor. And, and, and her you know, family's a huge part of our church a month early. Yeah, things happen in life. It's a story about life? Yes. It's a story about hearing and doing? Yes. Yes. But I think the most important thing is, it's a story about foundations. It's a story about what are you going to build your life on? Are you going to build it on the rock? Are you going to build it on the sand? Now, this thing about foundations is so important 
that God started a long time ago. And I want to read to you, and this is on your sermon sheet. Now we're on the sermon sheet. In Matthew 28, 16, you know, we, we have the scripture here, the story here. And uh, you, yeah, would you get Isaiah back up there, please? And we've got Isaiah up there, okay? Now, God started long before, really, really the story of building and foundations and redemption you know, it's, it's at, you know, at the beginning, okay? But, but Isaiah 28 is a, is a huge scripture that God uses to launch forward the idea of a foundation. Okay? It's a wonderful scripture. Here's what he says in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. He's looking forward to saying, Now, there's a time coming, and there's going to be a stone, and it will be a foundation. Then he describes the stone. He says, it will be a tried stone. In other words, it will be a stone that has been tested and passed the test. It's a stone that has been tested and passed the test. It is a precious cornerstone. In other words, it's a rare stone. It's a -a one-of-a-kind stone. Now, remember, he's looking forward, forward 700 years to a thing that's going to happen. And it's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sure foundation. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a stone that can be trusted. It's a foundation that can be trusted. And then he says, whoever believes will not act hastily, will not act unwisely. Okay? Then, that was written 700 years before Jesus comes. And Jesus comes and lives and dies and resurrects all that stuff. And then, uh, then a guy who hated Jesus gets saved. And, of course, it's Paul. Okay, And Paul becomes a, a fabulous believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes a letter. He writes a letter to a church in Corinth. Okay, Now, here's what, here's what we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, also in your sermon sheet. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, he says, I laid a foundation. So he said, I've laid a foundation out there. Okay, And others are building upon that. Mm-hmm. That would be us and people then, okay? Then he says this, let each one take care on how he builds upon it. So Paul's saying, I've laid this foundation out there, and you're going to be building on that foundation. Take care how you build upon it. In your daily walk, in your daily life, be careful how you build upon that. You know, I thought of a question. I said to myself, this, this is a foundational question. Does Jesus, don't give me the Jesus answer, and don't answer at all, but answer in your heart. Does Jesus make the top five in your life? Now, I mean it now. Don't give me the answer, well, of course he does, Dwayne, I'm in church. If I were to honestly, and you were to honestly lay out there the importance of Jesus Christ in your life, would he make the top five? Excluding the fire escape theory. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. And you're getting up and going to bed, getting up and going to bed, and doing life. Does Jesus Christ impact you, the top five things in your life? I'm going to get harder. How about your 10-year-old son? He made a profession of faith in Jesus. It's been a year ago. If I were to ask him today, name the top five most important things in your life. Would Jesus Christ make the top five? Good question, isn't it? That will help you understand just how important it is that we do this foundational thing right. Make sure, make sure in your life what the foundation is. We're going to get there in just a moment. Make sure you've got what the foundation is, and then as you build on that, 
It's unmistakable that Jesus Christ is the foundation. As you live life and you lay, you've laid that foundation, as you build on that foundation, no one should have to second guess if we are Christ followers. It should be obvious everywhere. And your 10-year-old son should know that Jesus Christ is your foundation. Not your career, not your titles, not your prestige, and not your money. It is Jesus Christ. The most important thing is Jesus Christ. If we want our children to understand the importance of Jesus, then he's got to be important to us. He's got to be. He's got to be. So, I've laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And here it is. Here it is. Wait for it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid and which is Jesus Christ. The one foundation for the believer is Jesus Christ. It is not religion. It is not church. It is not being an upstanding citizen in the community. It's not even being a good dad or good mom. Those might be good things. But the thing that matters is what are you building your life on? And it's got to be Jesus Christ. Amen? This is huge. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is bigger than you think. It's bigger than you think. Now we get to the, to the heart of the message. If, if you're looking for one scripture that really talks about the foundation for, for individuals, the foundations for the local church, the foundations for the church of Christ, you have to go to Matthew 16. You have to go to Matthew 16. It's such a wonderfully powerful scripture. And I just pray that God will let it soak and sink into our hearts today. Here's what Jesus says. The word starts in Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came, and by the way, I am very familiar, this is a common scripture. If it's common to you, hear it like the first time. It's important. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now, let's just pause there. I've heard several sermons on this, and I won't do as good a job as they did. But it's important to understand that Jesus has brought his disciples to a very unique place to have this discussion. He's waited. He's waited. And now the time has come. Caesarea Philippi is the headwaters of the Jordan River. And let's just be very honest, it's very carnal. It's very carnal. Everywhere you look in Caesarea Philippi is a Roman city, okay, named after Caesarea was after Caesar, Philippi after Philip. And everywhere you look, you see false gods. The, the main one was the goddess Pan, the god Pan. Okay? But everywhere you look, there were false gods. Okay? So Jesus brings them there in the midst of all these false gods. Does that ring a bell with our culture today? That's the culture we live in today. America is plastered with false gods. We just spent three days in Chicago... And the false gods of secularism is everywhere. 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 So he brings them to this place. And he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And it's not written here, but let's just be obvious. You know, surely someone thought and said, well, if you're talking about these people, they're not even thinking about you, Jesus. If you're, this was an area of Gentiles. 
So Jesus, if you're talking about the culture around us right now, they're not even thinking about you. And look at me. That's true in America. There was a time when God was kind of in the picture in the average person's life. Trust me for a guy who just spent three days in Chicago amongst a whole lot of people. Trust me, in American culture today, a lot of people aren't even thinking about Jesus. You've got to understand that. It will help you be more directed and more pointed in your lifestyle and your discussions with the culture we live in. So so someone could say, if you're talking about these guys, they're not even thinking about it to Jesus. However, if you're thinking about the Jews, Jesus, if you're talking about the Jews, they said, well... Some would say, you know, like John the Baptist. Of course, you know who John the Baptist was? He's radical in his teaching, his call to repentance, his power with, with the word. And some people say, Jesus, you know, it wasn't too long ago that you preached the Sermon on the Mount. And people were just awed. Everywhere you go and do your teaching, people are like, awed. We've never heard anything, <coughs> anything like excuse me, anything like that before. God's just like amazing. It's amazing. Okay, so some would say they seen you, John the Baptist, resurrected. John had been killed, and you know they, they got you come back to life. Some would say Elijah, and you understand again in this culture the prophets were so big, the prophets were so big, and this was like one of the rock star prophets, Elijah, famous for his miracles. Everyone, every kid grew up knowing the miracles of Elijah, and they'd seen what Jesus had done. It's amazing what he could do. He could raise dead people to life. He could open blind eyes. He could cause mute tongues to speak and deaf ears to hear. Leprosy. Cured. It was amazing. And they said, well, some of you, you seem to have the power of Elijah. And then some said, well, no. Kind of reminds us of Jeremiah. And I, I always like to point out that, you know, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He had, had a sense of compassion. And you remember, of course, at the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He, he felt for the, what sin was doing to the people around him and what death had done to the ones he loved. So he said something, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or one of the prophets. But then he nails it. It's just like the brick picture. It's one thing to see the Lean Tower of Peace and go, yeah, that's a really cool part of history. But it's another thing to look at the bricks in your house, your house, your house, and see the cracks and understand you've got the problem. You've got the problem. He brings it down so personal now. He says this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's so huge. Who do you say I am? Bill, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Liz, who do, I say, who do you say I am? It's huge. Uh, if you'll excuse the pun, it's foundational. It's foundational. Who do you say I am? And then, and then Simon Peter replies. And again, his statement is bigger than big. Bigger than big. You are the Christ. And then he goes like further. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You know, Jesus, I took like the Jewish school thing. Okay, I did that. All right. And ever since I was like five years old, 
I've heard that Messiah is coming. I've heard that God is going to send a deliverer and he's coming. And I've waited. I was five years old. I was six years old. I was 10 years old. I was 12 years old. I was 15 years old. And probably he, he could be a contemporary age-wise of Jesus. So let's just guess and say Peter's about 30. So he said, all my life I've waited for this deliverer to come. And Jesus, you are him. This is a huge statement. False messiahs had come and gone. And for Peter to declare this, he said, you're the deliverer of Israel. The one we've waited for. But then he goes a step further and says, you are the son of the living God. Whoa. That's big. I mean, these are the guys that didn't mention God's name. And all of a sudden, Peter professes and confesses and says, Jesus I see you through my eyes, through my lens. You are the son of God. So here's my question. Who do you think Jesus is? Don't give me me that Jesus answer. Don't give me what you've been taught in Sunday school. I'm going to be like Jesus and look you dead in the eye and say, no, 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 no. Really in your heart. Who do you say? I'll tell you this. What you do determines what you say. If you say Jesus is the living Son of God, my Savior, and you're living like He's not, there's a problem. There's a problem. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter wouldn't have said this because he didn't have the whole story. We've got the whole story. When you say today, when you say today, in this culture where they're not even talking about Jesus anymore, okay... In this culture, here's a few things. When you say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're saying, Jesus, I believe you were virgin born. I believe you had an earthly mama, but you did not have an earthly daddy. I believe that you are 100% God and 100% man. Can I have an amen there? You, listen, listen, you've got to believe that. You've got to nail down. When your friend at work says, you believe what? Man, you've got to anchor it. That's right. I believe Jesus Christ was virgin born. He had an earthly mama, but did not have an earthly daddy. He's a man like no other man. I believe he lived a sinless life. When you say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are saying that Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. You believe he died a sacrificial death. When when he died on this cross, he took your place. When he died on this cross, he took the place of every man. You're saying you believe that the sins of the entire world were poured out upon him. And as the sin was poured out upon him, the wrath of God, the wrath that was deserved by every man, woman, child for all their sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. So much so that God turned his back on his son. When you say you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you are making a declaration that Jesus Christ was virgin born, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that he died a sacrificial death for any man, woman, and child who will believe in him. And you're saying that Jesus Christ was dead and resurrected on the third day. Dead and resurrected On the third day. He wasn't comatose. He wasn't swooning. 
He was cold, stone, dead. And as that song Brother David has taught us, that stone, cold, dead body, Easter morning, <gasps> began to breathe again. To begin to breathe again. That's what we're saying about Jesus. And listen, that's what you've got to believe about Jesus. These aren't iffies. These aren't well you knows. These are truth. These are, these are the foundation. He said, he says, you know, we believe that you're virgin born, sinless, sacrificial, resurrected, and yes, you're coming back again. Coming back again. One day he who would come will come. Who said he would come will come. When we're declaring, when we say Jesus Christ is, that's what he is. He is the Christ. And then Jesus said in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is important. Jesus says, Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. My Father showed this to you. I don't know if you realize this or not. But you know, in John chapter 6 and verse 44, it says, Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father draws them, and I will raise them up again. You didn't come, if you're, if you're a Christ follower today, you had to come to the conclusion that He was the Son of God, the living Christ, virgin born, sinless, sacrificial, resurrected, coming again. You had to come to that conclusion. But here's what you understand you didn't come to that conclusion on your own. You're drawn by the Father. You're drawn by the Father. And you came to that conclusion because of God's revelation in your life. You acted on what God showed you. How? By faith. By faith. Wow. Wow. Sometimes we get it right. Peter got it right. But like it says on the sermon seat, sometimes you just got to get it. We just got to get this. Now listen, listen, listen. This is, this is the part that's just too good. Well, that was pretty good. Amen? That, that's some good, good truth. But listen to verse number 18. And Jesus continues and says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now this has been the source of so much controversy about what Jesus meant. Now there most definitely is a play on words here in the Greek. There's no doubt about that. When when, Pete, when Jesus said, you are Peter, that's the word Petros, Petros, a stone, a stone, okay? So you are Peter, you are Petros, a stone, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the word rock there is Petra, a large, unmovable stone. So there's definitely a play on words. And I'm not trying to diss the Catholic Church, but I will speak the truth. You know, they proclaim and they believe, based on this scripture... That Peter is that rock. That he's the first pope and the founder of the church. Now, I do not believe that's what scripture is teaching us. I mean, can I be honest? Really? Really? Jesus would build his church on a man? Really? Jesus would really build his church on a man who would, just three verses, Jesus is going to look at him and say, Get thee behind me, Satan! You have in mind the things of the world and not the things of God. Really? He's going to build his church on a man in just a few chapters who's going to say, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. 
Really? Even after the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he's going to build his church on a man who went back to Jewish law? When the, when the brothers showed up from Jerusalem, he'd been eating with the Gentiles, all of a sudden he runs away from the Gentiles and starts acting like a Jew again? Really? Come on. If that's what the church is built on, we're in deep weeds. We're just in deep weeds. No, I think there is a distinction between Petros and Petra. I believe that. I believe, and again, I don't think, I don't, I don't even have to stretch as a Baptist. I don't have, this is one of those times for me, I don't have to make it say what I think it needs to say. When it says, on this rock I will build my church, it is as obvious as anything. It's not man, the Peter, the man, but it's the truth that Peter spoke. Upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? You are the Christ. The son of the living God. The foundation of every believer and the foundation of the church is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Like no other. Like no other. You've got to believe this. You've got to buy this. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. That's the rock. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. That's what you must build your life on. That's what you must build your, we must build the church on, the local church. And I believe so much that is what Jesus is saying here. I've built my church on this. And we've got to pause just a moment where he says, and I will build my church. That is so pregnant with meaning. I will build my church. First, the word church. I've taught this to you before, and I still find it quite amazing. You know, we are so careful how we, try to be careful how we handle the word of God. It's just interesting to me. That way back in the, in the Reformation days and beyond, you know, somehow the word church was put into the Bible. The word church comes from the German word kirch. Okay? It is not a Greek word, a translation of a Greek word directly, nor is it a translation of a Hebrew word. The authors back, the translators back then came up with the word kirch. Well, Dwayne, if it's not church, what is it? It's ecclesia. It's ecclesia. It means an assembly. A called out assembly. A called out assembly. But because of, I think because of tradition and because of what we're used to, they left the word church in there. And that's fine. I'm not a, but who am I? Some small town preacher, who am I? But here's what I want you to get in your head. This building is not the church. The thing over there we meet on Sunday night and Wednesday night is not the church. The church is the called out ones of Christ. That's what I fear. Because we so associate church and this building or church and another building, we lose sight of what the church is. And the church is us. The church are the believers in Jesus Christ. That's the church. It's the church when we do back to school. It really doesn't, you know, we associate if the lights aren't on, the church isn't alive. Folks, this is a building. The lights on every time we go in our community. When you go to school students, when you go to work, guys and ladies, wherever we go, the church is alive and well. The church. The called out ones. A called out assembly. And see, back in the days of, of Rome, you know, the Senate would be a, an ecclesia. A called out assembly. Do you see what sets this one apart? 
I will build my church. This isn't just any called out assembly. This is the called out assembly of Jesus Christ. Oh, 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 by the way, the church, the ecclesia, belongs to him. It's true individually. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 5, he said, we are living stones. As we are built on this foundation, we're living stones. So whether it's individually or whether it's local assembly, the church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. I mean, we've got to, listen, we've got to keep that in brain for some reason. We sure like to put our grip on a church and think it's ours. It may be because we give a lot of money or what our name is or how long we've been a member. I Listen, it ain't mine. It ain't Brent's. It ain't David. It ain't the deacons. It ain't the trustees. It ain't yours. It's Jesus. It belongs to him. And we've got to seek his will. His will. What he wants to do. I will build my church. He said. You are my called out assembly. He said. And one more thing he said. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not. And Brent, you remember last, I think it was last week I mentioned this. That the church has got to get out of defensive mode and get an offensive mode. Do you remember that? You amended. I remember you amended. You got it. See. Again, in the culture we live in, because we've moved past that 1950s era of Christianity in America, and we're now post-Christian, it's almost like we feel like we have to gather in this building to be strong. Let me just tell you something. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it does not mean that the church is in defensive mode. The church is in offensive mode. Gates are defensive weapons. And when Jesus said, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, He's saying the church is in full charge mode and the gates of hell can't stop it. Satan is a defeated foe. Hell is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ is king. He is victor and we're on his side. So I'm saying we're on his side. And daddy and dad. So oh, I wish I could tell you how much Satan wants your family. You don't have to bow down to social pressures and all that. Put the king on your side. Mama, put the king on your side. Grandma, Grandpa, put the king on your side. Live like we're victorious because we are. Because we are. So, can I ask you a question? One, do you have a foundation? What you do, but do you have the right foundation? Has there... Been a time in your life when you're sitting here in some other church service or at home or I don't know, and all of a sudden this truth about what Jesus did came to you, and it seemed like God was saying, I want you. I want you. And you felt this pull, all of a sudden you felt all this remorse for your sin. And you chose and you felt the urge to turn from that and to turn to something new. Well, that was God knocking on your door. God knocking on your door saying, I want you as part of the family. And all we have to do is respond. Respond by believing and turning from our sin. Jesus, I believe all those things, but I believe you died for me. 
I believe he took my place on the cross. And I choose to turn away from my sin, and I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. If that's never happened in your life, Brother Brent's going to be standing down front, and we want to give you that opportunity. The greatest and best decision you'll ever make is to follow Jesus Christ. And trust me, not just because he's a fire escape, but because of what he brings into your life now and what he brings into your eternity. It's huge. It's huge. For those of us who've already trusted Christ as Savior, are you living your life with the right foundation? Have you determined and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you believe that and you live that and you practice that in your life? So others can see that. I'm not sure. You know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You know, there are two roads. So I don't think you can have a half rock, half sand foundation. So you kind of need to ask yourself, what is my foundation? Rock or sand? Rock or sand? And today, maybe perhaps you need to nail down, not for your salvation, for practical application, that Jesus Christ is your rock. That Jesus Christ is your rock. And I'm going to build my life on that rock. Not society, not societal pressures, not what my friend says and my neighbors say, not what's popular, what's unpopular. What Jesus says, I'm going to build my life on that. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Let's pray together. Father, I'm very grateful for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Lord, when David chose that song, Holy Spirit, your presence here, come and fill the atmosphere. In my heart, I was just saying thank you. Because I know Satan did not want this message preached. He wants lost people to stay lost. He wants nominalized Christians to stay nominalized. He wants them to stay weak. He does not want us to experience the victory that you called us to. I want to pray for... Every person here who does not know Christ, that today would be that day. Today they would come to faith in Christ. Uh, that they would be born again. That they become a new creation. That they would leave the old to seek the new. Jesus, I pray for that for them. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, including myself, that God, we would nail down our foundation and we would live our lives on the principles and truths of the word of God based on, based on Jesus Christ and our relationship with him.